This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, And I'm your host, Jessica Jack. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. episode 15, we get to hear from the person who usually runs this podcast, the incomparable Alexandria Pavlich. Though Alexandria has an incredible background in pain work and research, today we get to hear about Alexandria's own lived experience with pain. She shares her trials and tribulations with trying to get a pain diagnosis and discusses how resisting unhelpful advice and treatment from medical professionals has shaped her recovery from persistent pain. Join me in a relatable discussion about pain and resistance with Alexandria. Alrighty. Well, this is the last episode that I get to the host for this podcast. And I am excited that it is with Alexandria, my great friend and colleague. Um, So Alexandria is wearing many, many hats when it comes to pain. Uh, She's a PhD student at the University of Saskatchewan, where she calls herself the pain sociologist. Uh, She is a board member for the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain. And she's a researcher with the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan Project. So she is well-versed at all aspects of pain, but today I feel like I have the immense privilege of getting to ask her the questions I'm sure everybody else has been wondering when she's been hosting this podcast. What has her experience with pain been like? So thank you for joining us today, Alexandria, and I'm hoping you can explain to listeners who might not know about your own lived experience with pain. For sure. Thank you so much, Jessica, and for being here today and for doing so many episodes while I was away. It's been so much more fun for me to listen to you as opposed to myself while doing these episodes. (laughs) But I thought it was only fair that since I've been interviewing so many people about their lived experience that I share my own. So I'm going to try to keep this as brief as I can, because this is a very long plus 30 years journey And I actually shared my entire lived experience of pain story on our Partners in Pain online webinars. This occurred on March 30th, 2022 of this year. So I do encourage people to take a look at that. These can be found on our SAS Pain social media channels, as well as our SAS Pain YouTube channel. And there's the episode about 
Medical Cannabis, also featuring Dr. Robert LaPrairie, who we've also had on the podcast here, who is an incredible educator and speaker. So go and check that out if you want the whole meal deal. But just to give an overview, pain has really been a large part of my life for my entire life. I'm only in my mid-30s, but my earliest memories are of being in pain. I remember having really extreme growing pains in my legs when I was young. In elementary school, I used to have really weird, awful stomach cramping and pain, headaches as well, which then developed into migraines later in high school um, with those really horrible visual disturbances. They're called auras, if anyone is familiar with that. And these were so severe that I would be vomiting from the pain and have to go to the emergency room for the migraine IV cocktail, as they call it, as I'm sure many other migraine sufferers are familiar with. So really pain has really always been present for me. In my late twenties, I developed terrible sciatic pain, which is that really extreme burning nerve pain that takes your breath away when you move and try to walk. Uh, It was all the way from my lower back to my toes on my right side. And I found out after doing some testing that I had multiple herniated discs in my back. So L3 through to S1, they told me I had degenerative disc disease, scoliosis, and all these other really scary medical terms uh, to explain what was wrong with my spine. But because I was only 28 at that time, um, I had multiple doctors tell me that I needed to go and get surgery right away, or I was going to have permanent nerve damage. I wasn't really convinced that they were going to be able to help me because when I was asking questions about it, they were telling me things like, you know, if this first surgery doesn't work, which is a microdiscectomy, they could try it three more times. And if that didn't work, they could fuse my spine with metal rods so that my spine didn't move at all. So really just some scary stuff that it didn't really offer you know, solutions. They weren't guaranteeing me that I was going to be pain-free. And they also didn't offer me any other alternatives, which I was really suspect about. Uh, Right when it happened and my pain was quite severe, they offered me opioids, which I took for, I think, a couple days, but they did absolutely nothing to help me. So I quit taking them. And when I said that I didn't want the surgery because I just really had a bad feeling about it and felt very resistant to the idea of a spinal surgery at that age, They just sent me on my way, uh, not even getting a physio referral or anything like that. And really what I'm hoping we can talk about today, um, more so than my pain experience, is this idea of resistance. And I think there's a really common experience that quite a few chronic pain patients have where they've been put on a lot of medications. They don't get better. They're not really improving. They're given multiple differing diagnoses to explain the pain from different specialists that they're seeing but no one really has a solid explanation for it. And for me at that time, that was really a red flag that something else was going on, but I couldn't figure out what that was. Um, So that idea of resistance where not everyone is maybe fully on board with what a healthcare provider is telling you or what they are maybe advising for treatment or even the label that they're giving you. And how do you navigate that? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I really appreciate you sharing these experiences with the rest of us, because I think that for people living with pain, your story is a a completely relatable one. This idea that, you know, doctors come out the gate with these really intense treatments um, and, and not offering you, you know, any kind of 
other options that might, you know, ramp up to the, the extreme treatments or that offer you any kind of peace of mind. And, and when you say no, when you exercise your autonomy, when, you know, you present yourself as a whole human being uh, who might not be fully on board, you're often labeled resistant or in medical terms, the, they often say non-compliant. Um, and, and that can be a really discouraging and painful way to be treated as somebody who lives with pain because it feels like you don't get a say in, in how this goes. Either you do what they say or in your experience, they just dropped you without any other way forward to even begin dealing with your pain. So in talking about this idea of resistance, um, I was wondering if maybe you could just share a little bit more about how you've experienced resistance um, with regards to your pain. Yeah. And I want to clarify there, like Jessica, you're absolutely spot on with the experiences I was having where I was just kind of left in the wind to figure it out. Um, I did actually solve my back pain. No problem. Um, it took a number of months. I had to do a lot of physio on my own, but I did not get a surgery and I considered myself back pain free for geez, probably almost four years now, which is great. But, um, in returning to more experiences around resistance in my early thirties, I started experiencing extreme pelvic pain and I saw everyone I could see, uh, pelvic floor physios, gynecologists, urologists, neurologists, uh, naturopathic doctors, acupuncturists, massage therapists. Um, I went back to the spinal surgeons just in case I basically lost track of everyone I saw or all the tests that I had had, which ranged from MRIs, fMRIs, uh, venograms, CT scans electromyography tests where they like shock you with, you know, electrodes to test your muscles, um, blood work, dozens of ultrasounds, just, I had everything done to me humanly possible, um, to try to find an answer. And I had to pay a lot of this out of pocket because the doctors didn't have any idea what to do with me. So I had to go to other provinces for testing, which really just added to my frustration that they were not finding anything definitive other than these herniated discs, which was incredibly disappointing to me and not necessarily an explanation for my pain experience. So at this time, I had really exhausted most avenues and resources for my pelvic pain. And I had so many instances where I went into a doctor and said, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what's going on with me. And they would sort of look at me and roll their eyes, not take me seriously. Um, I can't remember the amount of times I ended up just walking out in like a complete huff after like even yelling at doctors sometimes because I was being dismissed. They were calling me non-compliant um, when I told them I didn't want to be put on medications. I just wanted an explanation for the root cause of my pain. And I was treated like I was difficult or unworthy of assistance because I was resisting this first line treatment. So when this started happening, there got to be a point where I was just like, you know what? F it. F the doctors. I'll figure this out on my own. Um, so, you know, that resistance to just walk away. I'm going to figure this out because obviously these people can't help me. And I attended a live lecture with Dr. Gabor Mate, who for anyone who is familiar with this name, he is very prominent um, in the Canadian addictions research world and does a lot of work on trauma. And during the seminar, he said that very few doctors recognize the connection between adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, which a lot of people call them. So these are things like 
bullying, uh, divorce, abuse, assault, uh, living in poverty, and how these affect our health. And he also started talking about chronic pain and how this has a really strong correlation to trauma, which really got the wheels turning in my head. And I'm a pretty open person, but I'm also a health researcher. You know, my mom is a surgical nurse. I have a very medicalized background and upbringing that was really oriented to objectivity and science. And this is something that no one had ever brought up to me before. Not one of the doctors that I had seen, like dozens and dozens of them had asked about my early childhood or the current stressors in my life. So I started reading Gaber's books and some other recommendations he gave me about chronic pain, specifically Dr. John Sarno, Dr. Howard Schubiner, and Alan Gordon's work, which they frequently refer to as TMS, which in my brain, I most simply remember as too much stress. But others do use a variety of labels that can simply explain um, the mind-body connection or mind-body syndrome. So basically, how our emotional state and personal history impact our current pain experiences, which I think Jessica is also going to tell us all about in our next episode. Sorry, I, I was just saying, spoiler alert. <laughs> we were recording episodes back to back today. That's why we already know this for all of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> so when I did go back through my history of chronic pain throughout my life, I could pinpoint how every single major pain experience I had was directly tied to a traumatic or highly stressful period in my life. So when I was first experiencing um, back pain in high school after I had had a sporting injury and I couldn't sit, I learned that, you know, research shows that most tissue damage or injuries like broken bones, they typically heal after six to eight weeks, but I was still struggling after three months. And I realized in retrospect, it was probably because I was the target of horrendous bullying throughout high school. And at that time, when I had a six months long migraine that I was hospitalized for that they couldn't manage to treat in my late teens, that occurred shortly after I had been sexually assaulted. And when I herniated the discs in my back, I was in a very stressful uh, relationship at that time. I was living in a city I didn't want to be in. My university was on strike for six months, so I couldn't work and I couldn't study. I just felt very trapped. And I thought my back pain really improved from physio, but in retrospect, when I thought about it, my back pain was gone almost instantaneously after I left Toronto and that toxic relationship. And with my pelvic pain more recently, this all started when I was completely overworked um, in an emotionally abusive relationship at the time, in the middle of a pandemic that we are still living in, trying to finish a graduate degree with all of these doctors telling me absolutely terrifying things every day, every time I went to appointment. And I think I'm getting a bit off track here, but coming back to that idea of resistance, I always think of this one experience I had, and it was very bizarre, but when I was revisiting some of the spinal surgeons to ask about my pelvic pain to see if this was like correlated in any way, they ran another um, round of tests. There was MRIs, CTs. They did all the tests again. And they said, do you know you have herniated discs in your back? And I said, yes. Well, like I know I used to, but they said, but you don't have back pain right now. And I said, no, I haven't had back pain for a number of years. And they were very baffled. And it was like, they didn't believe me because they were looking at this imaging and looking at me and they couldn't believe that there was such a disconnect. Uh, but this was the truth. And again, I was made to feel like there was something wrong with me. 
but I resisted allowing them to do a procedure or do an injections, which is what they wanted to do when they saw my back again. Um, but I didn't have back pain. So why, why would I do that? But then the morning after this appointment, I woke up after these surgeons had told me like, oh, your back is really messed up. Like you need intervention again. I had full on sciatic pain and back pain. Like I had not had for years, which made absolutely no sense. I had not done anything. So there was no reason for my back to start hurting this morning. And then it was gone within a few hours. Wow. That is incredible. You knew how you felt and what you thought was best for you. And you were presenting an atypical case where, you know, you had herniated discs, but no pain and resisting that treatment from medical professionals that they, that wasn't helping you that you didn't think was necessary because you had no pain. And the result of the way they treated you was a pain flare up. And it going away within a few hours really demonstrates how active your mind is and your emotions are in modulating your pain experiences. Spoiler alert again, make sure you're listening to the next episode after this one, because that's what it's about. Um, but that takes me back to the, to the episode that I did with Sarah Garden and her discussion of neuroplasticity, which is how your brain can change and adapt to pain experiences or how it can change those pain experiences. And so it sounds like for you, the process of diagnosing, imaging, and resisting unwanted medical help really interacted with the way your brain was giving you pain signals. Do I have that right? A hundred percent. Yes. Like everything you've just said there is spot on. And it really, like my experience in and of itself as a case study just goes to show how suggestive our mind really is. But, you know, when you're a pain patient and you're not sure what's wrong with you, you jump on Google, you start looking up your symptoms, um, and then you start trying to get in to see all the different specialists based on, you know, what you've been learning online. And they start to label you with dozens of different pain syndromes. Um, no doubt you're going to start manifesting some of these symptoms or they start to magnify on their own. And this really kind of ties to that discussion on imaging, which isn't the be all end all when you're having a pain experience. You know, I wanted so desperately for them to just take an MRI and say, oh, there's your problem. Here it is. We're just going to, you know, cut it out and fix it. This is the cause of your pain. But then I think about the fact that if we take someone, for example, who has endometriosis, when they get a lapper, I can never say this word. Oh, it's such a tough word. Jessica, can you help me? When you get a laparoscopic, <laughs> laparoscopic, laparoscopic. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to not use that word again. It's when they cut open your abdomen to investigate what's inside. They put in a scope and a camera to look inside your abdomen, the L word. Sometimes they will go in and the endometrial growth won't be that advanced, but the person who has the endometriosis will be in completely debilitating pain. Like they cannot function. But on the other hand, Sometimes someone will go in to maybe uh, get their tubes tied, or maybe it's during an appendectomy. They'll go in with the L word and they will see stage four endometrial growth, which is really, really extreme. But this person has no pain at all. So what is going on here? It's the same as the study that's been done where they took uh, low back MRIs of hundreds of patients and more than half of them had really severe herniated discs and degenerative disc disease, but they didn't actually have any pain at all. So there is just so much more going on 
then the physiology, then the imaging. And I think it's valid that patients should or need to demand or expect more from their care providers and those providing pain education to request that we have more thorough discussions uh, to screen for things like current stressors and trauma and adverse childhood experiences because they do play a huge role in someone's subjective experience of pain. And like tying this back to our theme today, which is resistance, it took a huge shift for me and a high level of resistance from what the medical doctors were telling me that I needed to be worried about in order to arrive at a level of acceptance that my pain was so much less about what was physically happening in my body as much as it was my mind and body reacting to the circumstances around me. And for me, and I'm sure this is not a unique experience, being told scary things by doctors all the time, like you have this, you have that, don't do this, make sure you never do that. This was just sending off um, worse pain signals and ramping up my fear because, you know, we understand how the nervous system works now. And we know that the body is sending off a danger signal. Um, This happens all the time. It's natural, whether you have chronic pain or not. And for me, it was really my body trying to wake me up to try to protect me and distract me from the world around me and the emotional and traumatic experiences I was trying to endure and the unhealthy ways I was trying to manage them all, which was to frantically avoid the pain altogether or to numb myself out so that my nervous system was, you know, just completely overactivated and not functioning as it normally should. Oh, you, I, I cannot tell you how relatable everything you've described is here. And, and the point about resistance, um, you know, is, is really well taken because, um, I was recently at the Canadian Pain Society's annual scientific meeting uh, held in, in Montreal. And um, a, a really important point that was made there was that the majority of what doctors know about pain comes from generalized studies. So studies that look at, uh, at hundreds of, or thousands of people and their experiences and then amalgamate them into one single result, which is, you know, maybe for endometriosis, it's, you know, endometrial uh, growth, you know, leads to pain. But as you said, in your example, there are many varieties of experiences of pain when it comes to, you know, individual presentation, essentially, you know, you, you can't aggregate away everybody's individual experience with pain. So when people like yourself start resisting the unhelpful or perhaps unwarranted treatments or experiences that they have with these medical professionals, it it runs kind of headfirst into those amalgamated learnings that they have, those generalized aggregate kind of, you know, approaches to things and really can contribute to your pain in ways that are hopefully unintentional on the part of healthcare providers, but really serve to make these scary and sensitive times so much more scary and and sensitive. So as a result of going through all of that, I was wondering if um, maybe you could share with us what you found either most helpful or least helpful in uh, managing or improving your health on your pain journey. Absolutely. And I think the most helpful thing was I started to see a pain psychologist, which I didn't know existed um, until fairly recently, who was instrumental for me, somebody who really recognized that mind-body connection and could explain to me that when your brain feels unsafe, 
your body feels unsafe. And then your brain starts to fire pain signals as an alarm system. Just having somebody who could really unpack that for me changed my life. And when you do have a history of things like neglect or abuse, this alarm system is amplified. So I really had to start addressing with somebody that I trusted the root cause of that, which was probably in many ways more difficult uh, emotionally to deal with than just living with the physical pain I was trying to manage. And another big part of that, which helped was an incredible phone app called Curable that provides a ton of pain education and really just how that ties to mental wellness, which Jessica, again, spoiler alert, is going to tell us about in the next episode. It's addressing that past trauma and the current stressors. And I just, I want to clarify that trauma doesn't need to be big things like rape or abuse. Trauma can be things like feeling excluded, living under financial stress, feeling unheard, feeling unloved or unseen by the people around you. This mind-body connection is very real. And if somebody says something like, you know, this is such a classic thing for pain patients to be told, the pain is all in your head. There's nothing wrong with you. And in a small way, they are correct because your mind and your body are connected to your nervous system, which is affected by so many different things. So it took a long time for me to not take offense to this when somebody would say that. Um, And I've had to learn to be curious about what that may actually mean and what may be lurking under the surface um, in my past and everyday life that was, you know, making my pain a lot worse or persistent in a chronic way. And then quickly, I guess um, the least helpful thing was the amount of people I saw. I was trying to get answers from anyone who would listen to me, anybody I could get an appointment with, which was too many people. And it just led to so much more fear and confusion. Just to, you know, illustrate a picture here. Some of the diagnoses I got over the one-year period were IBS, pudendal neuralgia, Levitoranai syndrome, piriformis syndrome, uh, provoked vestibulodynia, vulvodynia, pelvic floor dysfunction, interstitial cystitis, <laughs> central sensitization disorder, fibromyalgia, uh, reflex sympathetic dystrophy syndrome, which now a lot of people call uh, complex regional pain syndrome, um, suspected postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, right? Like, how do you even say that? It's also called POTS. Um, and suspected endometriosis. This was all in a 12-month period, and you wonder why I'm I'm scared and terrified and my alarm system's going off nonstop because all of these things come with a lot of weight and fear to them because they're not well understood and there is no straightforward treatment. So it took a really long time for me to start rejecting and resisting all these labels I had been given and avoid forming an identity around them or considering myself someone who was going to be chronically in pain until I died, which is something that was frequently told that I just, you know, this is going to be your life. So you just got to accept it. And that really wasn't true. But once I realized and accepted that what was causing the pain signals to misfire in my body had way more to do with what was happening in my mind and from my past experiences, which was affecting my nervous system and causing all these painful symptoms to manifest in the present, That is when my pain completely turned around and I do basically consider myself pain-free now. 
Wow. I, I I feel like I've said that every time you stop talking so far in this interview, but it's, it's really amazing to be able to hear you describe, you know, those, well, I call them a paradigm shift where, you know, it's, it's a really fundamental way that you look at your life and that has shifted so significantly. And, and for you had such positive results of, of now being pain-free. Um, and, and I just want to clarify that I, I'm, I'm speaking for you, but I know that neither you nor I want to, you know, uh, tell everyone it's all just in your head. You, you just have to go to therapy and and everything will get better. You know, everybody's experience, which I feel like I've said before, everyone's experience is individual and it's different, but, um, I, I, I just want to invite the people listening to think about how, you know, your emotions and your stress and your life context might be interacting with your pain or contributing to your pain, even if it isn't the source of your pain. At the end here, I I love that you ended on the note of now being pain-free, but I'm going to ask you one more question because you have asked this question of everybody else. So I feel like it's only fair that the tables are turned now. Since this is a Saskatchewan-based podcast, would you be able to tell us one of your favorite things about living in Saskatchewan or maybe a favorite place that you love in the province? I love this question. You know, we're all from Saskatchewan here, Saskatchewan-based content. And it's always interesting to hear, you know, little things that other people love or appreciate about the province. And I have lived in a few other cities now, uh, Regina, also in Saskatchewan, Toronto and Vancouver. But I really love the space that Saskatchewan has to offer. You can, you know, go for a walk and not cross paths with another soul. You can, you know, just take a long walk or a quick drive and be in a completely wide open space with that big sky and just feel totally removed from an urban area, which is something that is so impossible to experience in bigger cities and also really good for your mental health to just be out there in nature. And with that, um, also the art scene that we have. I have a lot of friends who are absolutely incredible musicians and artisans, photographers, painters, uh, who were born and raised here. And I just really love the creative community we have for such a small little city, which I appreciate so much. So thanks, Jessica, for speaking to me today. Well, thank you, Alexandria. And uh, thank you uh, on behalf of all the listeners, because I feel like it was really exciting to get to peek behind the curtain and hear from the person who is usually asking all the questions. So thank you so much for joining us today, Alexandria. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SaskPain or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca.